Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Simon Sinek is a motivational speaker, literally. He studies what motivates people and companies to do what they do. And he talks about his work in some of the most watched TED Talks ever. On this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast, He describes what motivated him to start asking the question, why? Simon, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Carlos. Good to see you. Good to see you. So where are you? Where are you sheltering in place? I'm in Southern California. Very nice. Okay. And you're not normally in Southern California, are you? For some reason, I have you down in my mind as New York. I don't know why. I don't have a, a logic to that. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm, I'm a New Yorker, but uh, I, I came out here. Uh, I have family here. And, and how has it been? I know uh, it feels like uh, uh, COVID and LA have at times looked like they were in a better place than other people and maybe not. How's it, how's it been for you and the family? You know, we were early adopters to some of the some of the requirements to beat COVID, and then we opened up and <laughs> seemed to have forgotten everything we learned, and and now we've done it to ourselves, and we're now having a surge. So, there we are. There we are. Um, Simon, how do you introduce yourself when uh, when you're meeting someone new? I mean, if someone is trying to understand the work you do, like how would you describe the work you do? What would you say? Uh, I say I teach leaders and organizations how to inspire people. Um, and that I wake up every single morning with a very clear sense of uh, a vision of a world that does not yet exist, a world in which the vast majority of people wake up every single morning inspired, feel safe wherever they are, and end the day fulfilled by the work that they do. And I believe that the, the best opportunity we have to build that world is leaders. So I'm betting on leaders to help build that world. So I've, con- I've devoted my professional life to help find, support, and build the leaders that are, are going to help build that world. Well, well, let me start with why then. <laughs> why? Well, it's because I'd rather live in a world that's different to the one we have now. I, you know, it's, I, like everyone else, is subjected to the whims of, of leaders. Um, you know, uh, I've, I've worked in companies where I didn't feel like I mattered. Um, and you see it in people. You, you know, friends who, who come home from work and it's just a job. And, and for some reason, we, we've treated this idea of loving your job like it's some sort of lottery. 
that you, you know, you go out with your friends and one person says, I love my job. And the rest of us go, you're so lucky. Like they won something. And, and I believe fundamentally that loving our work is a right and not a privilege. And so we, we can demand that we work in places that, that make us feel like we matter. Where have you seen the greatest level of that kind of happiness that, that, you know, what's the closest part of the earth so far that you've seen to this place that you would like, that we probably both would like uh, uh, to be true? Well, the good news is there's 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 a there's a bunch of companies that are great examples. I mean, obviously, no company's perfect, but but there's a bunch of companies that are fantastic examples of what great leadership looks like. We just need more of them. Um, many of the companies that I've written about, one of my favorite one is is a company called Barry Waymiller, uh, run by a man named Bob Chapman in the Midwest of the United States. They make machinery, big capital expenditure machines. So when uh, Kimberly Clark, for example, needs a machine to make toilet paper, this is the company that makes that machine, for example. Um, but if you ask Bob, what does your company do? He says, we build uh, great people to do great things. And we measure success by how we touch the lives of people. I mean, I just love that. And, it's, and when you visit their company, it's extraordinary, the level of trust that exists, how people get along, I just it's just unbelievable and after I visited his factories for the first time I turned I turned to him and I said you know I can no longer be accused of being a crazy idealist if what I imagine exists in reality it, interesting um how old is Bob Chapman uh, roughly Bob's in his late 60s late 60s interesting and do you know if he would see himself as having consistently been that kind of leader or did he come to that that version of leadership later in life Oh, absolutely not. His journey started only uh, about 17 years ago. Um, he, he was an account, you know, he was trained as an accountant and he ran business like so many leaders run businesses today, which is they look at a spreadsheet and they make decisions. Um, and he viewed people as a disposable asset. Um, and he had a conversion. Uh, like I said, it happened about 17 years ago. There's a couple experiences that he had that sort of, he started to see a pattern. Um, the big one, uh, uh, was he was at a wedding. He was just a guest at a wedding sitting in the pews. And he watched this scene play out in front of him of a father leading his daughter down the aisle and then ceremonially giving her away. That's what we call it. We call it giving her away. And then the father turns around and sits down at, at uh, uh, in, in his place. And it occurred to Bob that this this father has been taking care of his precious daughter his whole life. And now he's going to you know, ceremonially hand her over to somebody else to take care of her, she's going to usually traditionally take his name as a sign that she's changing tribes. And he has to trust that this other person will take as good a care of his, of his precious treasure as he has from this point on. And it occurred to Bob, that's what we do at work, which is every single employee is someone's son and someone's daughter. And they have given us their, their, their precious treasure to take care of. And he was struck by this awesome responsibility he has when a parent gives their children to us. Interesting. And what about you? What was your journey, uh, Simon, towards doing this work? Because you weren't always inspiring leaders uh, to be great and to be different. True? I'd like to think that I that it's in me and I was doing it to my friends and to the people I worked with, you know, my whole life. I like to think um, I have the opportunity now to do it at greater scale for sure. Um, but my journey um, was very uh, like many other people's journey. I worked at a big company. I thought I could do it myself. I quit. And I started my own little business. Um, and, you know, you're hit with the statistic that over 90% of all small businesses fail in the first three years. And if you're a little bit competitive, that's exciting. And I survived. I made it through the first three years. 
Um, and the novelty of owning a business uh, wore away, and I was now a member of a, of, of, a, of, a, of a special club that had survived. And my fourth year in business just wasn't exciting. I'd lost my passion. Um, and I was embarrassed by that because superficially my life was good. I owned my own business. We had great clients. We did great work. I should be really happy, but I wasn't. I didn't want to get out of bed and do it again and again and again. And, um, and so I kept that, that pain to myself out of embarrassment. Um, and every single day I was lying, hiding and faking. I was pretending that I was happier, more in control and more successful than I actually felt. And it wasn't until a very dear friend of mine came to me and said, something's wrong. I'm worried about you. Did I come clean? And coming clean lifted a huge weight off my shoulders. And all of that energy that I invested in being pretending um, could now be invested in finding a solution. And the solution that I found was this thing called the why. I knew what I did. I knew how I did it. But I, didn't, I couldn't tell you why I was doing it. And, and I realized this is, this is based on the biology of human decision-making. There's, there's a bunch of other little things that happened that led me to that conclusion. And so I realized this wasn't a nice idea. This was an imperative. And I became obsessed with this thing called the why. And it was so powerful, I shared it with my friends. And my friends asked me to share it with their friends. And that's how this all began. I would stand in someone's living room in New York City and give a talk to a bunch of people sitting on the floor of a friend's living room. And people just kept inviting me. And I just kept saying, yes, this is how the whole journey began. Totally organic. So, so th that is um, remarkable and inspiring and interesting uh, all at the same time. Take me even a little bit deeper, like, because as you know, even many of us who want to behave differently, live differently, operate differently, you know how scary that is. You know how, how complex that can be depending on what sort of um, financial situation you have, what sort of all sorts of things. How did you ultimately decide, Simon, to really go ahead and to really try something different? Like, like, can you take us to that? Was it, was it literally one morning? Was it four weeks? Was it, how did that work? How did you ultimately literally begin, you know, following your imperative? Well, you know, a lot of these things seem sudden, like they happened overnight and rarely are they. You know, somebody asked me, how long did it take you to write Start With Why? And I said, every day of my life up until that day. Um, the thing that's most important to remember is that I didn't do it alone. I did not have the courage to make the changes I needed to make until a friend of mine said, I'm worried about you and I'm here for you. And that's really important to remember. We're social animals and none of us is strong enough, none of us is smart enough to do this thing called life or career alone. We're just not that good. And so what's absolutely imperative is that, is that we have somebody who loves us and that we love and we're just as supportive of them to help us on the journey. And it's, and it's those days where we don't feel we can that we have somebody in our corner who says, I believe in you, or I've got your back, or no matter what happens, I will still love you and I'll still be by your side. That's what gives us the confidence. And that's what gave me the confidence. It, it wasn't me. It was, the, it was the absolute gratitude I have to somebody who was willing to go on a very difficult journey with me. Um, Simon, I know a, a, a fair amount of your story, but just for people who may be getting a chance to really enjoy it for the first time, would you, take whatever you want a minute or two and kind of give people that journey so from a guy standing in people's living rooms to one of uh, uh, Ted talks most watched folks uh, a best-selling author a a consulary to all sorts of organizations and people can can you give us kind of what happened in the succeeding 15 years well I, I never expected I'd be doing anything that I'm doing now and at no point in this journey have I, have I expected anything. So the whole idea of having a plan 
I, it didn't work because I certainly didn't have one. Uh, and you know, there's a there's an old adage which is no no plan ever survives contact with reality anyway. Um, uh, so I, I, I didn't have a plan. What I had was a vision. I had a cause. I, I, I knew that I wanted the world to be different. And back then, I couldn't quite articulate it as I can now. But but I, I had a sense of what it was, and and um, and I I was so driven by that um, that you know any of the finite objectives just they were stepping stones. I never wanted to be an author. I was never one of those people who thought I had a book in me. I didn't. And here I am, five books later. Um, uh, but I knew I had a story to tell, and somebody else said you should write it down. I never wanted to be a public speaker. I'm. I, I'd rather. I'm. I'm happiest behind the scenes. I'm. A, I'm an in the shadows guy. Um, but I was compelled by this idea, and 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 when people said, "Will you talk about it to us?" I just simply said yes. And the most powerful thing I think was not the the choices that I made. It's that when I talked about what I believed versus what I do, then people who believe what I believe said, "There's someone I want you to meet." And that's how it happened. Because most of us go around and talk about what we do. I'm a consultant. I'm a lawyer. I'm a I'm a personality. I'm a this. I'm a that. And so most people, if you're lucky, maybe 10% of our conversations are less. Somebody happens to need that at that one time, and the odds are very low that they're going to say, "I need you to meet all my friends." Um, but when you talk about what you believe, what ends up happening is you attract people who believe what you believe. And that's what happened to me, which is I had no idea what direction I was going to go in. It was somebody who believed what I believed who said, "I want to introduce you to a publisher." It's somebody who believed what I believed who said, "I'm going to introduce you to this this organization where you can go speak to entrepreneurs." In fact, it was within just a few months of me first articulating the concept of why that somebody invited me to the Pentagon to present to a group of of of, of airmen, a, a group of uh, uh, air force officers. And because I talk about what I believe obsessively, they invited me back. Within five or six months of first articulating the concept of why, I was talking to the chief of staff and secretary of the Air Force. So things moved in a in a surreal direction, not because of what I could do, but it's because of other people saying, "You can speak about things that I think need to be heard, and I want to. I believe that you can say it." It's it's one of the most common compliments I get, which is, "You put into words something I've been trying to say for years." So people used me as a foil to communicate what they were trying to do. It was never about me. That's the important thing. That's the biggest lesson. I, I'm simply a messenger. It was never about me. It's the people who embraced the work, or embraced the idea, or shared the vision that wanted to use me to help communicate the same vision or ideal to other people. And so they made introductions for me. Uh, Simon, what has surprised you the most? Because、uh, I've heard you say before that you're not necessarily a expert. On leadership, but that you're a perpetual student, and you might have studied leadership more than other people. But that I love that. That's a little bit I've heard Oprah describe herself、um, uh, as a worker. That that she says, you know, people may see me as as a boss, as a builder, as this, but she still sees herself every day, day in and day out, as a worker. And so I, I think there's there's something special. To that, and there was something special when I heard you describe yourself as someone who's still studying and, and still part of that. Um, as a student, what has surprised you the most over the last couple of years? Maybe even where you were wrong about something—that you went into 2016, 2017, 2018 believing one thing, and here in 2020 you now believe differently. What's on that list?、Um, so I think one of the biggest mistakes that I've made in my thinking,、um, which 
I still struggle to reconcile, but it's, it is what it is. You know, I, I've always, I, for years, I thought that vision was it. And that if you have a clear sense of vision, then you can advance something bigger than yourself. But the reality is that when we have a foil of something that embodies something we don't believe in, it's much easier for us to see the vision. So take the United States, for example, which is we can talk about the ideals that our founding fathers laid down for us, but only when we see what we don't want to look like does it actually motivate us to, to follow that path. Whether it was the Cold War and we look at the Soviet Union, we go, ugh, not that. That helped America stay true to its ideals on a global scale because of the Soviet Union. And I think if you look at the way the world exists now, um, that we look at our own history and we look at some of the uncomfortable realities of our society, that we are more likely to follow the vision that was laid down for us when we are faced you know, with a mirror. Uh, here we are eye to eye with something that makes us uncomfortable that we don't want to be. And so I used to think vision was all you need, but I, I've started to realize that having, having the opposite is incredibly valuable. Did you ever meet a guy named Bill Campbell? He's since passed away, but he was a, a kind of coach and, and consulary to lots of the great CEOs of the last 20 years. So from Steve Jobs to Bezos, from, um, uh, from Larry Page and Sergey Brin to, to others. Did you ever happen to meet uh, Bill Campbell, former football coach turned salesman turned CEO of Intuit? Uh, sadly not. He, he, he was very interesting. One of the things, Simon, uh, I, I met him really only once or twice, but one of the things he said to me is that, like you, he used to believe deeply in vision. And in fact, in the 70s and 80s, his experience was that visionaries were the key and people with big visions. But that what had changed most notably to him about the leaders who really were building big, interesting enterprises is that not only were they top flight visionaries, but they were top flight executors that they realized that the best vision, if not executed well, would go nowhere. And so that they had become much more hands-on in a way that he hadn't seen early in his career. Um, I know that's not exactly the point you were making. In fact, it's not the point you're making, but how do you, how do you think about that? And then he used Steve Jobs uh, and he used Bezos as a couple of examples to me of people who not only had the big vision, but were very hands-on on the execution. It's not either or, it's both. I mean, um, vision without execution is hallucination. So, but execution without vision is 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 like is like a hamster wheel, you know. Um, and and you I, you see both. I, I, I you meet visionary people who who achieve nothing and they're just angry, frustrated people, you know. Um, at the same time, you meet brilliant executors who spend their whole life executing and climbing a corporate ladder and getting every promotion and having every goal, and then you know, later in their life when they're super senior and have more money than they ever dreamed of making, they're actually kind of depressed. And they look back at their life and say, but what was it all for? Um, you know, it's not just for the next bonus. That, that doesn't, that's exciting for a few years, but it's not fulfilling. So I think we have to be careful about saying it's this or that. It's this and that. And this is why partnerships matter because some people are more visionary minded. Some people are more operationally minded. And it's not about forcing operations people to be visionary. And it's not about forcing visionaries to be operations. It's about working together. That's what partnerships are. And I've never seen a great organization that existed with one person. There's always a partnership of a visionary and an executor, of a visionary and an operator who work in concert to advance something greater. The visionary needs the operator to get things done. And the operator needs the visionary to give their life and their work meaning. 
Which uh, I love teams as well, and I'm always fascinated by how some of these teams come together and how they find a rhythm that may not even have been immediately obvious. What are some of the interesting collaborations or partnerships you've come across in your study of leadership? Um, I mean, in my own in my own career, you know, I I'm surprised at the depth of of relationships I have with with the military. Um, my grandfather served in World War II, but you know, so did everybody's grandfather. Um, um, but my, I have nobody in my family served, um, and none of my friends went on to serve after high school or college, um, and so I, 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 I stumbled into those relationships, and I have found incredible love and kinship with those who volunteer to wear a uniform, um, uh, and I've learned more about what it means to be a human being um, from from folks in the military than I have from anybody in business. You know, I've, I've, I've hugged more people in uniform than I've ever hugged in, in a suit. I've cried with more people in uniform than I've ever cried with in a suit. Um, and, and just the lessons I've learned in the depth of humanity and the quality of friendships, that I, didn't, I would never have predicted that. And, and I've attempted in my work, in the stories that I tell, in the, in the books that I've written, I attempt to tell their stories so that other people can, can understand who they are. I think they're, they're misunderstood and misrepresented very often. Interesting. Uh, and, and why do you think it is that, that folks in the military have so deeply appreciated your, your work? I, I think because my work is fundamentally human. You know, it's not about a culture. It's not about an industry. It's about us. Um, and it's about how we function and how we interrelate. And for them, you know, their work is existential. Um, we make decisions and maybe we lose some money for a large corporation. They make decisions and it could cost people their lives. And when, when they're ordered to rush towards the sound of a gun, when they're ordered to rush towards danger, they do so uh, with two things. One, with the, with the confidence that their leaders would never order them to do something that would put them at unnecessary risk, that it's worth it. And the other reason was deep, deep trust that the person to the left of them and the person to the right of them has their back, just as they have the back of the person to the left and the person to the right. Um, and it, it, when, when it's that, when it's that, when it's existential, it, it, it exaggerates all of those human lessons. It's not unique to the military. It's just easier to see in the military. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. 
myself as the middle generation. I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Simon, I, I so appreciate. I, I've obviously been watching a lot of your talks and 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 have obviously read a number of your pieces and and have absorbed it. What would you say to the critique that someone said? What Simon has described is super valuable, but it's especially valuable for white men and white worlds at large corporations. That that in many ways. For a lot of other people, it it misses the basic point, right? Which is that uh, you do need a plan, that that you need something more than inspiration. You you need you need fairness, right? That 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 what Simon's describing is great, but applies to a part of the story and maybe not a bigger swath of the story. How do you how do you hear that critique? Is that is that is that legitimate? Is that how do you hear that? If that's how my work is being uh, understood, then then I probably have to check the way in which I'm communicating it, because the reality is I'm talking about human beings. Now I'm not against plans. Let's let's be crystal clear. Um, my point is is that uh, uh, plans don't always go according to plan, and so what vision allows for is flexibility and adaptability. So it's like I have a plan to drive on a certain highway to get to a certain destination, and if there's uh, an accident or a road works and I'm stuck in traffic, I I have an ability to change my plan and go on a side road. And even though it looks like I'm going sideways, I'm making my way around the traffic because I'm trying to get to a destination. The point of the plan is, is that I never had a plan to stick on one road. I had, I had the, the vision of the destination. Um, and I think that's essential for all human beings, especially in social movements. Uh, social movements are about the ideal that we recognize. You know, Dr. King articulated a vision for us. You know, I have a dream, he said. Dreams are are, are visions. Clearly there were plans, but those plans were uh, in order to advance towards a dream, an ideal vision of the world that we will never actually get to, but we will die trying. 
and the and the markers and the milestones that we pass give us the confidence that this is a, a worthwhile fight and we're going to keep working towards that dream for the rest of our lives because it's worth it. Um, uh, uh, and so I, I, I hope my work translates regardless of, of color or creed um, uh, and culture because it is a universal. These are human themes. But, but, but it, and just to stay on this, because obviously we're in such an interesting moment here in the world and in the country and people are asking really profound questions about whether the systems are set up so that um, a variety of people can pursue the American dream. And, and you know, part of the critique is that actually the system's not. And if we do try and apply one solution, disproportionately that solution's gonna work for the incumbents and it's not gonna work for the challengers. And so if, you know, if I use your own life as an example, if you were black Simon Sinek instead of white Simon Sinek, and you decided that I've got this idea, your friend comes to you, you wanna try it. Do you think you would have ended up speaking at the military within a couple of weeks? Do you think you would have been received quite as well? You, you hear what I'm saying? And I'm not begging for a certain answer, but I am, I'm wrestling with the thing that we all are wrestling with as a world, which is, can I take this prescription as you're describing, or are we gonna to have to both embrace what you're offering, but actually refresh it so that it applies more broadly? Well, if you're asking if I've been the beneficiary of white privilege, of course. Um, of course, yes. And, and I think that's what the, this, the Black Lives Matter movement has done, which I think is uh, in, worthwhile, invaluable, necessary, finally, which has held up a mirror and allowed white America to, to actually empathize and see what they have ignored for many years. Um, I think what was so different um, about the murder of George Floyd, which is for all the other uh, stories that made the news, all the, uh, we saw some fuzzy footage at the end, or we heard a story about, and it gave, quite frankly, it gave white America the opportunity to say, yeah, but, but, but we don't know, and there's doubt, and you know, apparently he was violent, and it allowed for, for, for us to disconnect. And I think what was so different is for the first time ever, with multiple crystal clear camera angles, uh, white America saw the entire scene play out from beginning to end. And where I think it's been emotional for a lot of white Americans, for, um, for a lot of African Americans, the, it's kind of like, yeah, we've been trying to tell you this for a long time. You know, it's more like exhaustion. Um, but I think that's what makes this different. I think this, this, this holds up a, a mirror to us and say, you know? Um, we've been living in, uh, perpetrating and advancing, some on purpose, uh, some accidentally, an unfair system, and and it's and it's time for a correction. I, and I, and I think that's I think that's right. I agree with you. I, I, in many ways, I I think that there's a moment here that's allowed lots of people to come to the table, and I think we've been the beneficiaries, you said, of all being able to see. I, I hate saying it this way, but see the same eight minutes and 46 seconds. And, and so, um, and so I, I'm sure that there's, there's, some, there's some value in that. You know, I, I, Simon, again, one of the things I am thinking more and more about, particularly as I talk to young people, is are the prescriptions that many of the people who I love and respect the most, yourself included, are those broadly applicable or am I gonna do a disservice to young women uh, 
young men, people of color, etc. If I try and prescribe those because they're not starting at the same place. And so if you're not starting at the same place, it may even be harder to ask the why question, right? Um, and, and, and I love the why question and I understand the immense power in the why question and I don't want it taken off the table. And I, I do wish everyone could do that because I think you're right. I think it can awaken the soul in enormously valuable ways. Um, but I, I think about that a lot and, and I'm sure it's something that, that you're thinking about too. But I was, I was talking with uh, your friend Malcolm Gladwell before that with Adam Grant and having some of the same conversations about how do they see their work in light of this fresh conversation that we're having um, about race and privilege and, and, and is there an opportunity to extend the work uh, in certain ways. Um, uh, Simon, different question for you. How do you think about startups, which you've been, versus established companies? Because one of the other things I thought was interesting as I peered into your work is it seemed if I was back at some of my old shops, McKinsey, Goldman, Time Warner, it's called Time Warner then, it felt like very applicable. Like I, I clearly understood the point you were making about um, the lack of purpose, about maybe sometimes almost the mindless execution, as you were saying. But I wondered whether for young companies, particularly for young companies in those early years that haven't become profitable yet, whether what you were describing was as applicable. I'm not literally saying it's zero sum, but I'm wondering whether it held your thoughts on leadership were as applicable for a young, not yet profitable company as they were for a bigger, more substantial, more established company. The simple answer is yes. I mean, we don't wait for companies to be successful before we practice good leadership. That's like saying, I, I, when I get rich, then I'll give to charity. Then I'll, I'll be a good person after I've made it. Uh, it's the same. It's the same mentality, which is practicing good leadership, empathy, listening, how to give and receive feedback. You know, the, these are essential skills that when we learn them in the early days, then we get better at them later on. Um, you and I have both seen companies that were unicorns and rise to these massive successes unbelievably quickly. And then they realize, whoops, we forgot to like do the whole leadership thing. And now they're sort of like backpedaling trying to do it. If they'd simply considered it from the beginning, they wouldn't have forgotten about it once they got big, which is way more complicated and way more difficult to now build in and acculturate uh, in the organization. Um, good leadership happens in business. It happens outside of business. Uh, you know, leaders come in any fashion and form. You're a leader in your company, you're a leader in your community, in your church, in your school. Um, uh, you know, leadership fundamentally is the responsibility to see those around us rise. Um, and at, at big companies, it just happens at greater scale. Uh, uh, I think to your point, sometimes the lessons are a little more obvious in a big company uh, uh, because it, it can become so cold and so heartless where little companies, we tend to be like four people in the same room. Uh, and it's, the, the, the camaraderie tends to be a little higher and you tend to start small companies with all your friends. So it tends to be understood and we're, we're kind of doing good leadership by accident. And the troubles start to happen in small businesses as we start to achieve some success, where I now hired somebody who isn't somebody I went to college with, uh, or I hired somebody who I didn't grow up with. Um, and, and now you realize that the, the, the way in which I communicate, the, the things that are understood or misunderstood, it's an entirely different skill set. 
Um, so I think good leadership, uh, and more important, the, the 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 study and the practice of good leadership. The earlier we start, the better. Simon, I love you, and I'm going to save this for your next Aussie Fest visit. But I want to debate you on that a little bit because I, I while I think they overlap 70%, I actually think there's a meaningful, important 30% uh, uh, or so that actually are different, and it's almost saying. Um, uh, you know, what kind of family budgeting would I do during uh, bull times uh, 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 versus other times and that I might do some different things when I think about the kinds of what good leadership should mean at a large profitable existing company versus you're you're, you're separating you're separating finite needs and, and, and infinite mindset you're 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 bifurcating like short term stress over sort of ideal idealism and visionary stuff. And I, I'm not. To me, they go together. And so, of course, of course, sometimes we have to be short term. And of course, sometimes we have to tighten belt strings. And of course, sometimes the way we budget in hard times versus the way we budget in, in, in bull times are completely different, of course. And so I don't, I'm not, so I'm struggling with some of the questions because you're asking me as if they're two separate things, but I'm thinking of them as pieces of a puzzle. For me, the, the short term stuff is in the context of the broad, of the broader and the bigger, but but by by no means separated. So I, I agree with everything you're saying. Actually, this is a much longer debate. And I'm going to wait until you're with me at Aussie Fest again because I loved you there, and I got to get you back there. <laughs> Sounds good. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married yeah. at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation <laughs> yeah. that didn't have to deal with Instagram and that. Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. We create magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, 
playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let me take you to the personal a little bit because one of the things I think is always so helpful and brings people to your ideas is actually bringing people sometimes to the person. Uh, tell us a little bit about you. Like, what do you do for fun? Uh, where do you normally live? I think you said New York, but, but give us a little color. What uh, what, what brings fun and joy to your life? I, I'm a huge fan of, of, of creative people. Uh, I, I love artists and I love art um, and, and creative pursuits. And so, you know, on, you'll catch me at a museum, you'll catch me at a gallery, um, you'll catch me uh, at a dance performance. I love modern dance. Um, I, 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 I love being challenged by how people see the world differently. And I find that a lot in, 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 in the fine arts. Um, and, and whether it's an intellectual idea or a creative idea, I, I love anybody who challenges me and forces me to, 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 to question my own thinking. And, and are you a traveler? Is travel something that brings you great joy? Or, or would you just as soon uh, enjoy where you are and, and not be on the road as much? I'm definitely a homebody. Um, of course, I like going away now and then, and I like being a tourist. Um, I travel a lot for work, um, and I'm have have, 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 grateful for the places that I've, I've had the opportunity to go and see. But, but I, I'm a homebody. I, I like staying home for sure. You know, I, I see you as, as this uh, should I call you a permanent bachelor? Is that is that how I should see you? I'm not always a bachelor. Am I going to see you one day walk the aisle? Am I going to see you? I've heard you talk wonderfully about parenting. And I think I've heard you call parenting, what you call it? The most selfless uh, role anyone could take. Is that right? Well, I, it, it, cer- it's, it's, it certainly is. I mean, to put your entire life aside for, for, uh, for another human being is best exemplified in, in, in the choice to have a child in, in parenting. Would, would, you, would you see yourself big family, small family? What would, uh, what would the dream be? We'll see, you have to meet somebody who I want to have a family with first. Okay, okay, give, give it time. I, I have not yet had kids either, so I'm always curious about people who haven't started the journey either. When I heard you talk about the intentionality of parenting and and what that meant, it really uh, it really made me stop and think. And so I appreciated you. I appreciated you saying that. Um, Simon, what is hard for you now? I mean, given all that you've learned, all the wonderful successes that you've had, is there anything that still feels hard, or do you feel like you're in such a beautiful lane that 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 you're in the flow? Which is something I've heard athletes say. I've heard artists say. Where, where are you right now? I, I think of my work like an ice like an iceberg. Um, you know, early on in, in the early days, um, there was barely anything, if anything, showing above the water. But if you ask me what I imagined, I could tell you the world that I imagined of this, this thing underneath the ocean, uh, which existed only in my imagination. And when I tried to figure out a way to expose some of it, you know, there was a little bit of success. And, you, and, and now other people could see what I was imagining a little bit. And they could say, oh, I can see what you're trying to do. And that, that helped people 
it helped make tangible what existed in my imagination. And when people would congratulate me on anything, you know, it's amazing what you've achieved. I would always say tip of the iceberg. And so I'm at a place in my life now where more of the iceberg is showing. But if you say, Simon, you've achieved all these things, like it's, it actually feels weird to me because I'm still focused on what's beneath the ocean and I still feel it's the tip of the iceberg. Remember, I'm trying to completely change the way in which we approach business today, where human beings uh, come at the front of that, um, uh, where we prioritize seeing those around us rise and, 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 and taking care of people um, and, and learning good leadership. And, and when I look at all the work that's still to do, it's overwhelming. You know, I have to, I'm, I'm part of the movement that's attempting to undo 40 years of finite backwards leadership, you know, that was advanced by people like Jack Welch and those who admire him. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a big, it's a big thing. So uh, as, as grateful as I am for the compliment, I, it's, I still, I still feel myself um, just at the tip of the iceberg. And, and you make me curious about countries. Are there countries, I know you've talked about companies, but are there countries or regions of the world that you think are further along in this leadership journey that, that you want to see? Um, I, you know, countries go, they ebb and flow like companies ebb and flow, for sure. Um, uh, I think one of the things that I've found impressive is the countries that have, how they've dealt with COVID. And there was a great article in, I think it was Forbes magazine, that talked about some of the, the best leaders that have dealt with Forbes were all female, you know, uh, Taiwan, Germany, uh, New Zealand. And, you know, they embody the, the qualities of great leaders, you know, the patience and maternal instinct and putting a human being first. And as a result, they've, they've, they've had more success than, than some of the men in the world at, at, uh, at, at trying to beat COVID. So I, 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 admire, I admire those leaders for sure. You know, it's interesting as you say that, and as I hear you talk about the finite backwards leadership, one of the phrases that you know we now use more is kind of toxic masculinity. Are those equivalent? Are those one and the same in your mind? Uh, the, they're probably, I think toxic masculinity probably embraces a finite mindset more than not, you know, which is about short-term achievement. It's about, it's about, you know, measuring my success based on how much money I've made in the short term. Um, I, I, I would imagine that uh, if I had to guess that, that the toxic masculinity definitely, definitely approves of the, of the finite game. Simon, what do these folks, these kind of supporters and adherents of, of that mindset, like when you talk to them, what, what do they say? Do they say you're right, you're wrong? What, 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 what does the conversation sound like? With those finite leaders, you mean? Yeah. With the finite minded? I mean, they usually think I'm an idiot. Uh, they, you know, they think, they think I'm naive. Um, they think I don't understand business. Um, uh, and, and my argument is, is I'm a diehard capitalist, just not the form of capitalism that they're following. You know, I like Adam Smith capitalism, where, where consumption is the primary responsibility, that is the primary purpose of, of business, not production. Um, and, and we live in a world right now where, where production is, is king. Um, uh, Adam Smith thought it was so self-evident that the customer comes first that he literally said it's not worth writing about. Well, well here we are talking about it. Um, uh, and, 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 so, and so I think we've confused the form of capitalism we have now with all capitalism. And so when I talk about the greater good, you know, those who, who, who adhere to and embrace broken capitalism usually think I'm an idiot. <laughs> well, I have a feeling you're good humored about it, um, uh, which I appreciate. Last two questions. Um, you know, one of the things we've been talking a lot about on the show is dreaming fearlessly and how people 
can not only dream fearlessly, but ultimately realize those dreams. What are a couple of lessons that you would offer to a younger Simon or just anybody who does begin to discover the why, does want to go on a different kind of journey, but may not be sure how to. Any advice on uh, on dreaming fearlessly? I think there are there are two uh, two two thoughts that come to mind. Um, one is, and it's the mistake I made as a as a as a young person, which is um, you don't have to have all the answers, and if you don't know them, you don't have to pretend that you do. Um, you know, the ability to say I don't know or I need help um, is one of the most powerful lessons I learned. Um, turns out I was surrounded by people who wanted to help me. They just didn't think I needed it because I was always pretending that I had all the answers. So I think I think um, that's a big one. And the other one is, and we talked about it before, which is none of us is smart enough or strong enough to do this by ourselves. We're social animals and we need each other. And uh, and and anybody who thinks it's I'm going to follow my dream, well, your dream might be somebody else's dream too. And to share that dream with someone, and even more powerful than trying to advance your own dream is trying to help somebody else advance theirs. Um, you know, there's an entire section in the bookshop called self-help, and there's no section in the bookshop called help others. And I think the willingness not to try and see the world as as there to help us advance our dreams, but rather to see ourselves as servants to help uh, our friends and those we love advance their dreams is a, is a, is a, is a more powerful and better way to live. You know who I bet you enjoys your work if you haven't already met him is John Donahoe. Do you know John Donahoe at Nike? I haven't met him yet, no. You, I, I should make the introduction. I think you guys would like each other. Uh, he talks a lot about servant leadership and a lot about rather than a pyramid, a reverse pyramid, and that leaders should be on the bottom, which is kind of very similar to your book, Leaders Eat Last. Um, and and the notion that those who are in leadership should be holding up and should be serving uh, uh, those who are closest to to customers and who are serving customers day to day. So that might be a uh, might be a good intro. Um, Simon, I want to close with a little bit of rapid fire question round. Are you are you good with uh, giving me some immediate thoughts? Let's do it. Great. Your favorite book that you have not written? Uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Interesting, interesting, and interesting. Uh, most beautiful place in the world you've ever visited? Unfair question. You know, uh, Highlands of Scotland are damn beautiful, but but so is Florence. Um, I, I think I think it's unfair to compare to compare and contrast. I mean, it's kind of like people. Like you can, I can find beauty in the places that I'm in. I, I don't even know how to begin to answer it. Fair enough. You already gave me a couple good ones. Your favorite comedian? Who do you enjoy? Who makes you laugh? I think Dave Chappelle is perhaps the most genius comedian in, in the world today. Uh, most interesting political leader you've ever come across? Interesting. The most interesting political leader. Correct. I mean, uh, I think, I mean, look, I, I think Donald Trump is very, very interesting. <laughs> I, I find him very, very interesting. Say more, because? Um, I think he embodies a lot of what America uh, is moved towards. You know, I don't, I don't think he's an anomaly. I think it's been a steady drumbeat in that direction. Um, and I think, I mean, taking politics out of it and taking the president out of it, I think in general about politics, I think we get the politicians we deserve. I think our politicians are a reflection of our society. And we can complain about Congress being divided and that all they do is fight and bicker and they don't listen to each other. And why don't they cooperate? Well, that's us. Um, I think I think our politicians are a mirror of, of who our society has become. And if we're dissatisfied with our politicians, I think the hard work begins at home. Do you think the president will win re-election? 
I have no clue. The reason I ask is because if you say that it represents a more fundamental shift, it makes me curious not only will he win re-election, but are you arguing that he's the beginning of a different wave as opposed to an anomaly? I think, well, presidential elections are not like congressional elections. They're different. It's a different system. It's a different form. And uh, 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 and so I think it's 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 not necessarily an apples to apples comparison. Um, I I've, I don't do predictions on, on 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 elections. Fair enough. Last couple ones. What's the most interesting thing you've learned with your new podcast? Oh, um, my my favorite episode that I, so far was one with David Harris, um, and we talked about how to have difficult conversations. And I, you know. David is, um, he has a remarkable ability to listen without judgment and, and um, has helped me understand what it means to have difficult conversations and how to start them, um, which I think is, which is essential. I, I, I'm really grateful to, to the conversation I had with David. It's, it, it's I, think, I think it made us all realize that, that A, we all have a responsibility to have difficult conversations and, and that we have, if we don't know how, we have to learn how. Give us 30 seconds on that. That is such a powerful idea, whether it's a mother and child, whether it's a neighbor, whether it's uh, co-workers. You're right. We have, it seems like, more difficult conversations every day for a variety of reasons. What did you learn from David that maybe could help other people, myself included? There's an uncomfortable humility and an uncomfortable honesty that has to happen. Um, you know, to pick up the phone and say, um, I want to do this and I don't know how to do it. Can you help me? Um, and and the, that opportunity to, to, to bear that kind of vulnerability um, and to admit that you literally are stuck or don't want to say the wrong thing or whatever, whatever is the feeling that you're having, to say that out loud um, to someone and to ask for help is, um, is it, it, for some it can be humiliating, especially because they don't know the answer they're going to get. They don't know the response they're going to get. And so there is risk, um, but that risk is so worth it. Um, especially when, when the response is positive or helpful. Um, and even if it's unexpected, there's still lessons. Um, and so just, just the, the, like I said, he has this remarkable ability to, to listen without judgment and allow people to, to, to go on the journey and he carries them on that journey. And I, I'm learning to be better. To, I want to be more like David. I love that. All right, last couple. Simon, um, even for those who admire you, really like you, have followed you closely, what would surprise them to learn about you? Um, what would surprise, I think what surprises people I'm an introvert, you know, because I stand on a stage and, 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 and give, you know, talks to, to, to large audiences. People think that I'm, you know, I, and I'm not. I'm, I would rather stay home than go to a party. I definitely prefer the company of, of one or two people than a large group. Uh, and, and, and social things are, are pretty exhausting for me, including standing on a stage. So I think it surprises people to know that I'm, I'm actually an introvert. Love that. And then finally, uh, Simon, what did I not ask you that you wish I had asked you? Uh, well, I, I'm, one of the things I'm grateful, I, I don't wish you asked me anything. I, come in, I tend to come into these things sort of you know, open. And for me, what I've, what I've appreciated is that this was not a normal interview. You know, most people want to just talk about my work or my books, and you wanted my opinion about difficult conversations, even, even asking me, you know, difficult conversations about my own work. And quite frankly, I love that. Um, uh, so it, it, I, I'm just, this has been good. I'm grateful. 
I, I love I love a, I love the push, you know. Uh, well, well, Simon said it. Come on back, and uh, I'm really I'm grateful for you. I really I appreciate your good spirit and uh, your good energy, and for you to give us some of your your Friday. Uh, I really appreciate it. And you couldn't see it, but here I saw a number of heads on the team bobbing as you were saying certain things and as you were talking about that world that you hope you'll be a part of creating. So um, I'm sure you you get to see that affirmation a lot and when you give talks but but there was more of it here so thank you so thank you for uh, for doing that for us thanks for sharing that I appreciate it and and thanks for today I've enjoyed it I hope I, I get to hope I get to see you soon in person and we can do this on a proper stage one day. I, I do too I do too I do too I want I want this world to get uh, healthy in multiple ways including uh, the ability to be with people so um, uh, uh, Simon thanks and uh, I look forward to seeing you soon see you soon Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast. If you liked this interview, leave us a rating on iTunes. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.